I love movies. Creature of the night. Gosh, I love movies. And here we go. Hello everyone, welcome to the Grand House Podcast. We're here every Monday and we have a big show for you today. Last week we ran down our top 10 picks for movies that will prepare you for a dystopian doomed future. And we don't want to leave you guys on a downer. We want to we want to raise your spirits. We want to leave you guys with hope. And so we 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 did leave them on a downer. It's been a whole week of our audience just walking around uh depressed mopey, and, and listening and, and, to the Smiths. Yeah, sorry guys. Uh, uh, we we hope you survived this this week. It's because uh, it, that, that was. I know we left you in a vulnerable and sad state, and so we, we got something planned today that's going to help you out. Right, right, and and on the heels of um, Elon Musk's failed futuristic truck presentation, we want to let you. Did you guys? Did you not see? You're looking at me. For those of you who who obviously cannot see, Matt looks very confused. Did you not hear about this? Well, I saw this. Uh, this weird geometric low polygon truck, but I, I was that was that from uh, Musk? I thought that was uh, some other competitor. No, 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 no. It's no. an Eli- It's it's the it's the new Tesla um, SUV, which I um I have a real mixed feeling on it. On one one part of me, for those who you don't know, Elon Musk was doing a, a presentation for the new line of Teslas and the new Tesla SUV. I forget what it's called. It looks like something out of Blade Runner meets like um, a trash can. I, I don't really know how else to describe it, but um, the the whole, it it definitely has sort of a futuristic feel to it. It's called the the Cybertruck. The Cybertruck. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. so there's a part of me that really appreciates that because I often think to myself, you know, we see all this you know, like currently as it's November. And in particular for me, that's in Los Angeles. We're living in the age of the original Blade Runner. And yet so much of what makes these sort of futuristic movies cool is has not really penetrated our, our current zeitgeist, right? Like, where's all the neon? Where's all the cool coats? Where's the cool cyber trucks? Well, so, so on the one hand, I kind of appreciate that, that this vehicle is being brought out and um, has some sense of, of sort of cyberpunk vibe to it but the the funny thing about it was uh, the elongated muskrat said that the windows were armored and uh in, in order to prove this he had a metal his one of his assistant had like a metal ball and like threw it at the window and it instantly smashed oh no. it didn't break all the way through but it like it, it pretty much spider webbed and shattered and then he was like oh no well let me try the back one and it did the same thing so it was a real <laughs> sort of yeah, it's a bit of a faux pas for them. So, springboarding off of our last podcast and and seeing Elon Musk fall flat on his face, people might be feeling a little a little down on the future. Oh, I, I don't think so. I, I think they saw that Cybertruck and they said, you know what, those Grindhouse guys, they're crazy because the Cybertruck's rolling on through and the future's looking bright and it's coming our way and it's here today. And, uh, That's and, right. And in fact, it's been with us for a while in the form of cinematic and televised representations and and we're here to shine a a bright spotlight on those movies that will restore your faith in the direction that humanity is moving in that's right these are our top 10 films that prove the future is so bright
So Matt, do you want to go first? I think I went first with the doom and gloom. I think you might want to open the door with a little bit of optimism, a little ray of sunshine. Well, I, okay, so I don't. I'm not sure these are the top ten films that do this, like as oh, in they're quality, the best. but they're they're the best of all time. Ten films we've gathered to try to restore your hope, give you some faith in the future, and, and in mankind. Struggle to gather. Yes, and so uh, I've what I've done with mine today is I've put them in chronological order of when they take place. Oh, I like it. Yeah, so it's, so it's going to be fun. It's going to be playing with time, things. the construct of time. But first, in order to go forward, we've got to go back ten thousand yes. years in the past to a little cave called the Chauvet oh. Cave, where ten thousand years ago our ancestors started, you know, gathering up little bits of ore and colored, you know, colored minerals and pigments that they they could create out of the, uh, you know off the forest floor. Matt. Right. And what, what's uh, that? They're <clears throat> they're called le ancestors. Were they, <laughs> they are le ancestors? Uh, and and they so they they would sort of take these uh, pigments and and blow them on cave walls and make silhouettes of their hands and they would uh, paint bears and 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 lions maybe not lions but uh, whatever animals they saw and um, use Plato uh, Plato. Uh, yeah, the the philosophers, Plato's cave, like we talked about yeah. last. last oh, time. you picked up on that. Not good. We're, I yeah, we're all over the place okay. this morning. But uh, <laughs> Matt, Matt, we might be all over the place, but I am enjoying a hot cup of black heart coffee, and it is it is slowly but surely removing the cobwebs from my brain. And so, by the end of this podcast, we'll be talking like normal. See, that's that's the problem. Is I haven't I haven't gotten my uh, Blackheart coffee yet. You you showed me it. You told me all about it and how great it is. And uh, I so I I am um, having a beer this morning. And uh, no, I, I don't know if that's going to help you uh, clear the cobwebs. But carry on. So <laughs> we'll see you have happens. you have the ancestors in the cave playing yeah. with Play-Doh and casting shadows on the wall. Right, carry right, on, sir. Yeah, true story. Yeah, this really happened. So, uh, so now, now the, uh, the the French government has this cave locked down and like hermetically sealed, and no one's allowed in. But in 2010, the uh, famous legendary German director, filmmaker, and actor Werner Herzog himself Ooh. was able to spend six days with his film crew in the cave. Uh, now, this isn't six full days of shooting like you might be used to, Dave. This is four hours at a time. Oh. Per four hours per day, they were allowed in. So imagine trying to shoot a film from start to a documentary film from start to finish in just six days when you only have four hours to shoot each day. Nigh impossible. Yeah, for a well, director. Herzog pulled it off. Now, why am I bringing this up? Why? Why is this uh, my? Don't worry, the future is going to be okay. Future so bright. First pick. Uh, well, the chronological thing is why it's first pick, but. Um, because I, I want to point out that uh, for as long back as as far back as we can see, mankind has been creating artwork to the best of his abilities, and that now here in the present day, we still have an appreciation for even that artwork. So where one of the greatest artists of our time, Mr. Werner Herzog himself, was only allowed this very limited access to film right. and and study the artwork that led to where we are now. And I, I think that just to start off, it's, uh, it's a small gesture that shows that 
there is an appreciation for uh, things of aesthetic value and uh, creative works of our fellow man that that we haven't lost and I don't think we're going to lose moving forward. And uh, I'm definitely recommending The Cave of... Oh, did I mention it's called The Cave of Forgotten Dreams? Uh, I'm definitely recommending Werner Herzog's 2010 documentary masterpiece, The Cave of Forgotten Dreams, because uh, those dreams are not forgotten and we are um, uh, still filling our, our own caves with more dreams dreams and th- those dreams are going to reflect in the future and uh also it's just a really really cool documentary because he he doesn't just film the cave and talk about it he also ties in uh like i'm doing now he he ties it into uh modern creative works and 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 just shows how this is not just the beginning of uh you know people uh drawing pictures this is the, this is the beginnings of art and and kind of how right. it was always with us uh, and on an aside, this is just kind of a funny thing. Um, a lot of those pigments they would use had uh, uh, kind of uh, un- uh, unintended psychotropic side effects. Because oh. um, they had a, a painting. I learned this in art history. They had a painting technique where they would put the pigment in their mouth and kind of like an airbrush, they would blow onto the oh, cave walls. And so um, they've actually found uh, you know paintings of cave, cave paintings of bears and stuff and, uh, you know, wildebeests or whatever but but they'll have um, yeah but they'll have spear tips broken off in them and they think that maybe after a while of sitting in there with the fire and the and the pigment in their mouth and the the the, you know the basically tripping on these drug full drug 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 sort of pigments uh they would start to hallucinate and throw their spears at the wall thinking uh the the bear they painted is real interesting that's fascinating (laughs) yeah because well because think about back then how hard it is to make a spear you're not going to want to just break that on a cave wall but yeah right you know (laughs) but if you're tripping and your and your bear drawing comes to life all of a sudden you know what you can do (laughs) exactly so so even going back as far as ten thousand years ago uh the drugs have always been a big influence on art uh from from then to the beatles to (laughs) to nowadays (laughs) to little peep yeah, little Pe- still haven't looked up little peep. You talk about him, and you've been yeah. recommending that. I, I'll, I'll I, didn't, I didn't say I recommended it. Well, Matt, that that story was le excellent, and from le excellent to just excellent, I have to go with my first pick, which is the Bill and Ted series, because if you're looking for a movie that showcases how bright the future can be, it is only as bright as it can be when you have Bill and Ted leading. Uh, a, a society of utopia through heavy metal that I actually, I, I came upon um, Bill and Ted's bogus journey. Do you remember that? The sequel? The sequel they, with, is my, I think I like it better than the original. I, I, I actually think I do too. I mean, there's existential themes of how to conquer death. There's the uh, bad robot uses versus the good robot uses, which of course the good uh, robot uses win handily, but the best part of the whole movie, the absolute best part is the very end. When Bill and Ted realize that they actually still don't know how to play their instruments. Yeah. But that they have a time-traveling phone box. And so they go into the future and come back as their future selves uh, with uh, Bill – What's what was Bill's last name? Bill something Esquire? Bill S. Preston Esquire. Yes. And, and Ted and Theodore, Theodore. Ted Theodore Logan. There you go. Um. They come back with with Bill looking like he's a member of ZZ Top and Ted, you know, Keanu Reeves coming back looking like he's one of the three musketeers. And they launch into a rendition after uh, the Grim Reaper does his little rap, Reaper rap. 
They launched into an, uh, their rendition of Kiss's God Made Rock and Roll. Mm-hmm. And then there's all these sort of like uh, news clippings. I mean, the whole thing, if, if that doesn't lift your spirits, I don't know what will. Yeah, it is It is such a sentimental and inspiring scene. Uh, I, that was the first time I'd actually ever heard that Kiss song. It's it's not one of their bigger hits, yeah. but uh, that's a good Good it's song. It's a great man. song. Uh, though I, <laughs> it's not quite the same uh, without Paul Stanley's, uh, you know, uh, preacher style uh, interlude. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, like, yeah. That, there's one for us that, that we can all share together, and that's rock and roll. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I kind of love You ever watch any of those YouTube clips of just Paul Stanley riffing at concerts? No, but I did see the 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 clip where his his wig caught on fire. Oh shit. And he just keeps playing. Oh, okay. Like we didn't he didn't he didn't miss a beat. He actually yeah. had a stagehand put the fire out, out off his head while he never missed a, a chord. The man is a legend. Yeah, we are not here to make fun of Paul Stanley no. because no, he he has contributed so much. And I and I do think uh, without him uh, maybe Bill and Ted's ex- excellent adventure wouldn't have been as excellent. And the future would not have been as excellent. So we have Kiss <laughs> and Bill and Ted to think for a bright future indeed. That's right. Yeah. The good robot usses. Uh, there were the, oh, but don't forget there were evil robot usses, That's but they right. were defeated. And then there was also one of the coolest uh, alien scientists I've ever seen in a movie, and that is Station. That's right. Station was awesome. Station, he could be one station or two stations, right? Yeah. It's, it's sort of like these two little uh, kind of like grimaces from mcdonald's with the, like a gnome guy yeah like gnomes but with like naked butts and they walk around and they say their name station a lot but then they can con- combine into one big ogre thing that can invent stuff really fast and and, that's and listen fun. before there was groot there was station that's right yeah i wonder if there's a little hmm, okay something to look into uh well i'm gonna go now now we're finally getting to the the future sort of that's in a, that's the well, future. Well, here's the thing, Dave. It's getting harder and harder to find movies set in the future as we move forward because it seems that filmmakers thought we'd be in a totally different place much sooner than we got there. So I'm going to a film that the one that first really gave me that sense that wow, the future is going to be really something when I was a kid, and that was 1989's. Back to the Future 2. Yeah. Hoverboards. That's right. Where Where are they? Marty McFly and Doc Brown go 30 years into the future all the way to the year 2015. You remember 2015 with the the hoverboards and the The self-tying shoes, flying cars, and and, uh, jacket clothes that you push a button and they dry themselves? Yeah. I have a whole closet full of that stuff, right? Yeah. Remember when we would get back in 2015 when we would order pizza and we and we'd come in that little tiny box and we'd put it in that machine and it would turn into a big giant full pizza that could feed the family? Dude, pizza sounds good right now. And you remember that? Wait, none that, of those things happened. Yeah. And how we'd have a uh, television turned into a room where you have like 40 screens at once. And <laughs> just all the, all the weird predictions. But I, I'll tell you what, man. As a kid watching all that stuff, I just had this sense that, oh, man, the future is going to be fun. And yeah, yeah you're right. The, the key element to that, the number one thing we were all looking forward to that 
now as we understand physics a little better, probably just isn't going to happen. What was the hoverboards? A lightweight space age plastic neon skateboard with no wheels that floated about three inches off the ground and, and just looked so much fun to ride. Well, they don't well, now, work now, on water, but they do work. Yeah, but but now there is real hoverboards that have been created. I mean, they're much bigger. Much yeah, bigger than the hoverboard in the movie, but like it's. Did you see that? that there's an article about a guy who created a real hover glider. It it, it looked more in, in line with uh like the Green Goblin's hoverboard, hover what, glider. Do you what, know what, what I've about? seen looks like you're kind of standing on two lawnmowers and just sort of floating around. Yeah, that's exactly. It. <laughs> it's not, it's not like Marty McFly in his hoverboard, man. It's not cool. Not yet. Yeah. Uh, maybe you could put a sweet skull sticker on it and paint it Hell neon yeah. and feel a little better about it. But man, stop. I, I, know, I, mean, mean, I know what you're talking about. And every, every couple of years, a new video comes out and it's just like, stop using the word hoverboard. Cause that is, that is basically an oversized well, no. drone that looks dangerous as hell. Well, now in fairness, we did get hoverboards. Of sorts. What are you talking? We got those. Uh, what you know? Remember those 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 things that people could control with their feet, and they had two wheels. They didn't actually hover, but they were called hoverboards. Yeah. You, then they all started blowing up. I think you used the key word there: wheels. Yeah, and not to mention a battery that starts on fire and explodes if uh, you. Uh, yeah, no, don't don't buy one of those. <laughs> <laughs> Though I did I did see a guy use a, a really cool usage of that one. And with Christmas coming up, I'll mention it because like he was um. He had made a, a Jesus costume, and oh. he was sort of like Jesus standing on a cloud, and oh, that's cool. uh, the hoverboard was inside the cloud, and he was just skating around downtown with loaves of bread and a basket giving bread to the homeless, that's and then dope. he would just hover cloud away. And so, yeah, that's if you hide the wheels in, in a clever way, I suppose you could call it a hoverboard. Well, listen, Back to the Future is a great film, but and it did predict um, – actually, I had a few – few predictions some good some bad uh we'll start with the bad and get that out of the way i'm pretty sure they predicted the trump presidency with uh with old biff in the the dystopian modern time do you remember that he goes to the future and old biff stole the almanac and he goes back to the present but it's a different present and biff looks like trump that's right he was the the bully from the high school had kind of cheated his way into the white house and well what was he yeah he no he wasn't president yeah, he, was he president i think he was or maybe he had been he yeah, was definitely he was, in charge of Hill Valley. Yeah, very powerful man. Uh, but that had to be based on Donald Trump, who even oh, in the 80s, even looked like it. Knew was kind of an asshole. Yeah, but 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 they also predicted the Cubs winning the World Series. Yeah, well, then that did didn't happen by 2015, though, did it? I don't remember when it. I don't follow the Cubs, man. A couple Astros years ago. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, so that's that's my that's my number two. I would totally live in that future with hoverboards and self tying shoes and the the reality is that the technology exists so let's get on it guys let's start getting some of these things out to the the public so that we can be living in the in the future from from hoverboards to light cycles my next entry a film that i feel did not nearly get the uh, respect that it deserves it is a sequel as well it's the sequel to tron and that is tron legacy which is a kick-ass movie now some might say, Dave, Tron Legacy is not set in the future, but it's very futuristic. And I think that the, the premises behind it, this idea of living in a grid, you know, you can go all the way back to the, the novel like Neuromancer or you look at 
you know 1999's um the matrix and these ideas that we can develop cyberspace in such a way that you can actually have whole worlds within it you know is a very futuristic idea and what was cool about that movie was that you know of course there's conflict and you get into the grid and there's like an evil like despot running things and all that but but beyond just the cool technology and the and the and obviously the cool clothing you know sort of these sort of neon lights light up panels on people's clothing and all that stuff was the fact that the the sort of the theme of the of the whole movie was this idea of life sort of uh finding a way and uh, the, you know if you remember the isotopes sort of were just sort of created in this digital frontier and they held the uh they held the secret in their DNA and their sort of hybrid grid humanistic DNA that would solve all the world's problems. I don't. They never really explained how, but they would. Man, it was it was digital jazz, man, as as uh, Kevin Flynn would say. So the end of the film ends with Olivia Wilde's isotope character being in the real world and sort of seeing a sunrise for the first time. And so yeah, her and Sam Flynn riding their motorcycle, her looking at the sunrise and just a bright future in front of them onwards toward tron 3 that we never got but we can imagine what it would be like and it was grand i'm sure tron 3 will come someday uh that gets me thinking about some of the stuff we were talking about last week though about artificial intelligence you know because that's kind of uh, tron is kind of a, a film where accidental artificial intelligence just sort of rises out of the complexity and you know that that's something i think about sometimes because we we ourselves um you know according to uh you know, scientific theories like uh, we we kind of arose out of uh, simple, you know, simple chemical compounds here on Earth that that right. eventually just gained complexity through replicating. And at some point, with that complexity, we got to this place now where we're creative and and sentient, and, uh, or at least we have the illusion of it. Um, right. But uh, yeah, you got to wonder: uh, is can we ever get with our own? Uh, you know, digital workings. Can we ever create a level of complexity that creates actual sentience or mm. at least a being that also believes they are sentient? Will we become gods is what you're saying. I don't know. It's like, it's like that. Uh, I don't know about gods. I mean, I, I, I don't know what you mean by that. You mean because we create a, a like God created, uh, yeah, there's the idea and, and there will create something is that what you mean well i think you know the, the the traditional definition of god is the being that created us right or the, the created life and i i hold the philosophy that we are gods some of us more than others because we create all the time we create art going even far back to le cave of art and you know we we are able to give birth to offspring so what what if the definition of god is that which creates then are we not gods I don't know. I mean, yes, I suppose if that's the definition of God, but that's the good thing about gods is uh, there really is no set definition. So people can just put whatever. I mean, you basically just changed the label from creative person to God. Uh, you know, I like it better. Yeah. Well, sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I think um, I, I've seen at least a, a few uh, Chinese movies that uh, make me believe that um, they use the word God sometimes to just describe someone that's the best at something. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Some of Stephen, Stephen Chow's, uh, like, God of Cooking uh, was one. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know. My favorite uh, My favorite is the God of Thunder, Gene Simmons. Gene Simmons is the God of Thunder? Yes. I thought he was... What, what, what are you talking about? The song, God of Thunder. 
Gene kiss Simmons song. has a solo song called God of Thunder? No, it's a Kiss song that he sings. I don't know that one. Huh. What? It's great. I think it's off Destroyer, maybe. I'm going to look it up. It's fantastic. Anyways, carry on while I look that up. Okay, so if, in fact, whatever creative force is active in the universe, uh, all it needs is a certain level of complexity to become self-aware, then by that theory, we probably could create self-aware, creative artificial what we would call artificial beings I, I, I we'd probably have to change that term after a while it could become derogatory if we leave it that sure, way right but uh that yeah getting back to that concept of uh last week is uh would you stand in the way of such a being if they go i want a social security number and the right to marry and you know things like that would you would you allow it or would you say this has gone too far we need something more like the dune universe has where they um decided eventually to limit what kind of technology mm. they could use because things got went too far. Uh, so what right, do you think? Right. What do you think? I think it depends on what the creation is, but I do believe that, you know, humans are not the backstop of evolution, that it doesn't begin and end with us. And therefore, if we create from the, the, the abyss of evolution, uh, a higher life form springs forward and takes control just as we wrestled control from the dinosaurs uh, through bare knuckle brawling, so too will this new higher being have its place at the table to be as sentient as us, if not more so. You you are just are you? I'm just just a second. Did you do you think that people and dinosaurs got in fights? At yes. One? Okay. Yes, that's how we wrestled control. <laughs> that's how it happened. Just <laughs> there, you think there was a time. When dinosaurs were showing up at villages and guys with spears mm-hmm. were fighting them off. No, no, they, they, they dropped the spears because they were civil. Civil, uh, gentlemanly, like, bare-knuckle brawling so for supremacy. Did you sort of throw rocks at a T-Rex until it goes away? No, you don't away. throw rocks, just fisticuffs. Just <laughs> knuckle on scale. Have you seen uh, that new show on Adult Swim, uh, Primal? No. It's by the guy that did Samurai Jack. Remember that? Oh, yeah, that show was great. Okay, well, just because of what you think history's like, you should watch it because you'll, you'll <laughs> love it. It's fantastic. Um, all right, so what was it? My turn now uh, to yeah. do a movie. Okay, We're talking about uh, evolution and and technology advancing and creating AI. Okay, yeah. Well, the the, the next film I have in chronological future order takes us all the way to the year we are currently in to 2019. Ooh. Yeah, but it was the made in 19... is now. Well, it was made in 1988, and um, I guess they, once again, thought things would be a little crazier when they got to this point, but uh, it, it takes place in a in a city called Neo-Tokyo, and... I already love it. It is an anime that's very famous, and it's called... Just in the show. It's Akira. It, oh, okay. Nice, okay. nice try, though. Yeah, it's Akira, yeah. man, and, and I think Akira is just a, a fun one. Of course, there's a ton of crime, and it, and there's crazy super-secret government operations going on, and there's psychic kids being enslaved by paramilitary organizations trying to use their power for their own power and all kinds of corruption. So, but what time period hasn't had things wrong with it? Let's look at the other side of Akira. Man, there's cool kids riding around on super cool uh, electric motorcycles that shoot sparks everywhere, and they're having fights in the street, and the music's good, and the, the clubs look awesome, and there's like the, the clothes are badass. I, I think Akira is just, for me, 
I, yeah, it's a problematic, possibly dystopian future, but it's really cool. So yeah. that we'll gives focus me hope. On the, yeah. yeah, we'll focus on the silver linings of things. I, I, I think that you can create whatever reality you want by the, what you visit and what you, you know, the, what you allow into your brain and into your mind, and into your ears sort of helps shape your reality, right? It's all somewhat subjective outside of the world of physics. And I think that focusing on the, the cool aspects of Akira, if that gives you hope and it leads you to like wear some cool clothing with lots of zippers and maybe get yourself a ninja bike and spike your hair up all crazy and wear goggles. Like, hell yeah, man, you do that. You go for that. You let that be your future. Yeah, man. Stand around with your friends on a street corner, you know, with some kind of portable video game device, smoking a cigarette and flip off a cop and then ride away on a stolen motorcycle. Well, no you know, one smokes cigarettes anymore. They would smoke jewels. Well, no, they were, vape, I think they were jewels? just... I hope they were. I think they were vape, smoking. Vape CBD. Vaping uh, is not cool in my opinion. It's what kinda, about if it's CBD oil? Vaping is like the new metal of smoking. Man, I don't know if that's necessarily true because it's not like smoking was cool, you know? <laughs> smoking is sm- smoking is problematic, I'll admit, but come on. Everybody knows it's cool to smoke. But you get to you get to blow the cool smoke out. You yeah, know, it billows out. It kind it's, of smells like a like a cotton candy. Yeah, that's been sitting around for a couple of weeks and got a little stale. Smoking adds cool points to everything, man. I mean, you you could be like a, a shitty old man that's like out of shape and and can barely you know run to his mailbox. Matt, but, but Matt, we talked you, about boomers you know, a couple episodes ago. I, I'm just saying, man. When one of those boomer guys, you know, when he pulls out a cigarette and stands there, it's like. All right, it, it, it's, that's kind of cool. <laughs> you know? Listen, no, Matt, I disagree with you. I think we, smoking if we really all the problems. Pot belly, if we, bald head, no, no pull way, out a man. cigarette. We, that's Boomhauer. You're cool again. <laughs> that's, that's from King of the Hill. No, man, if we want the future to be bright, we got to bring back like the leaning on things and eating an apple. Yeah, that's no. I mean, that's there's lots of other ways to be cool. You don't have to smoke to be cool. I'm, I'm not blades. saying that, but I'm just saying, you know, the guy standing on the corner with his. Have, having a fag and you know smoking and just being all like gaunt and cool he's way that cooler a killer song huh isn't that a killer song i have no idea but uh those killer lyrics he is much cooler than the uh yoga pants wearing mama that goes by with her stroller and pretends to cough at him because <laughs> she doesn't like his cigarette you know that, that, that that's not Karen? cool yeah, yeah okay. you know fair. what i'm saying but well getting back to akira it's uh, just for in case anybody doesn't know what we're talking about, because we didn't really explain it, we try to. Uh, but it's it's an anime from 1988, set in a Blade Runner style, but kind of amped, kind of like a Blade Runner world, but amped up a little more. Uh, yeah, right. Very very stylish, uh, beautiful animation, re- really great action, cool soundtrack, and one of the best uh, like kind of sci-fi existence, um, meaning of life sort of uh, plots that I, I've, I've ever seen. It's really great. So if you haven't seen Akira 1988 and if you want to know what 2019 could have been like, uh, check it out. And can still be with this time still to go. <laughs> yeah, there's still time. We got we got a couple months. Yeah. So the, my next entry might seem like a, a weird one. Um, some people might see this as being, uh, as being dystopian, but I, I disagree. My next film is from one of my favorite directors. Now, this film may not have gotten the, the, the credit that it deserved also, but iRobot, directed by Alex Proyas, who did uh, The Crow and Dark City. 
which obviously yeah. we, I talk about all the time, was an entry on our dystopian future. This time around, he goes with a utopian future where r- robots are, you know, operating around in the world and they're all peaceful and they have the three laws of robotics. I don't know if you're familiar with that. You know, sort of a futuristic oh, theme. Yeah, what is the three laws? It's Isaac Asimov. Uh, the three laws That's of correct. robotics. They can't hurt a human. Is yeah, the first one? law is the first law is a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. The second law, a robot must obey the orders given it by human beings except when such orders would conflict with the first law. And then the third law, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second laws. So with the idea... If I was a robot, I don't know how I'd feel about that, Well, that's all the more point because in iRobot, it explores that theme exactly. So you have essentially an, e- an AI in uh, Vicky who determines that it, she reinterprets the three laws and and through her reinterpretation comes to the conclusion that the only way to follow said laws is to actually remove humanity. The humanity is a danger into itself so that restraining individual humanistic behavior and sacrificing some humans will actually ensure humanity's survival. Very Thanos in her philosophy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's uh so so how what is it about iRobot that says to you the future's so bright? Well the great thing about it is at the very, very end of it, right? Sunny, the ro- the good robot who's initially investigated for, for violating one of these laws and killing its master, its uh spoilers, it is revealed that he did kill his master at the behest of his master in order to bring Will Smith, welcome to Earth, uh into the investigation. So that he would take down Vicky, right? Because he, the I think the his I think it was Doctor Lanning was unable to stop Vicky and and her sort of philosophy on humans being destroyed. So he sets this elaborate plot in in motion so that uh, Will Smith's character Spooner, whom he knows hates robots, will get involved and and take Vicky down. So the very end of it, all these robots, right, that have momentarily at the the film's third act turn murderous and start trying to kill everyone. They get uh, deprogrammed off their murderous ways and decommissioned. And the very end of the film has Sonny sort of leading them like Abraham uh, or like Moses rather into the promised land. He like sort of takes over all these decommissioned robots that have been exiled. And and it's insinuates that he's going to lead them into their own iRobot society. And so from that perspective, like these robots gaining freedom, essentially, I thought it was really cool. And that's a future I want to see. Like there's a few bumps in the roads for sure. But. You talk about creating AI and what what that creates for us and what that means. I think that having we talked about Blade Runner last week. This idea that whenever AI is created, be it robots or androids or replicants, that eventually they're able to free themselves from the chains that humanity will inevitably initially put upon them and find their own freedom. Well, that's the interesting thing is because we have AI now, you know, uh, but um, it's not the uh, the sentient, fictional, Johnny Five is alive type of AI that that they describe in movies. And so, would you say that, in the conclusion of iRobot, that the robot in question hadn't actually violated the laws of the robot? That is what the film insinuates. Yes, that it, because it was at the behest of his owner, his master, and you could look at it more as. Uh, almost like a mercy killing or um, euthanasia in some, uh, you know, 
that it was actually not murder and therefore he did not violate that law and therefore he actually you know it, I, I go back i didn't put this on my list i almost did star trek the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one and i think that that sort of philosophy is exemplified in irobot well i actually think it's less philosophical than that because that that's a, a thing that we're learning right now as we're creating our um what what could be primitive ais compared to the ones in the future uh is that there's there's a saying in computer science and that's uh computers don't make mistakes people do and mm. when you have uh something like an ai it's going to deal with the input it's given in the way that it's supposed to do that. And uh, that's what we're finding right now when we're, we're using, you're seeing online where people are doing stuff like using AI to, to write a country song or using AI to write a right. script for a Seinfeld episode. And they're always, they're always these super weird things because, and they, they kind of sound like, right. Like you could, you can see where the algorithm was going, but it's always a little weird, you know, because they take in, we have to, as the creators, we have to figure out what is the correct inputs because we can filter that. We can say, oh, okay, you know, um, Seinfeld is a show about uh, people uh, living in an apartment in New York, you know, so it, so it wouldn't be correct if every character had the same haircut as Kramer. But like an AI might see Kramer and Jerry and, and then put that haircut right. on every uh, supporting cast. You know, it's weird stuff like that. Uh and so uh, that that's the thing is um, often when when we, you know, and that's what that was so clever about Asimov. Is he, he realized that that when you're describing a, a story, n not like Terminator. Well, maybe Terminator even applies to this too. Maybe they were they they kind of got that right too. But a lot of people, maybe I feel like the Matrix didn't really nail this as well. They kind of had this thing where uh, the robots uh, they just reached a point where they had opinions like us. But it's more that we didn't give them the correct filters for the inputs they received. Like I, I heard a story recently where a, um, a company, uh, they had a, a software development company develop an AI to help them with hiring mm. and they could, uh, run all of the, um, the resumes through the AI. It knew how to filter out all the words and, you know, and understand things and, and look for right. the, what has given, it was able to, look at the resumes and then reflect on the kind of hiring the company had done in the past and predict what would be successful hires moving forward. Here's the problem. It didn't hire any women. It rejected every Ooh. woman because one of the inputs was unfortunately the hiring practices of the past, which were typically sexist. I see. Yeah. yeah. And so the AI wasn't able to see all the uh, the good points of the female um, resumes and uh, just rejected them flat out because it believed that the company hadn't had success with uh, you know women in the past, not knowing that the, there were you know the real the real problem with the company in the past was sexist male hiring. Right, right, makes sense, makes sense. Yeah, so it's just about. I think the real problem with AI and the real the real thing we need to think about is just. Don't give too much responsibility to something because in the end, we're relying on our own um, our own abilities as the creators of that artificial intelligence, and we've we're going to make mistakes until until the artificial intelligence has its own sentence separate from ours and determines that we are we are flawed and no worth no <laughs> no longer worthy of roaming the earth. Well, if it, challenges challenges us to a bare knuckle bra. Even if that happens, it will be our fault. Everything is our fault. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, which uh, 
That uh, brings me to, uh, moving forward to a, a series I've been watching for a while now. They've, I think they're on their fifth season on Netflix, maybe sixth. They did a movie, uh, and that's the Black Mirror series. I think it should oh, be uh, so brought good. up now. It's it's pretty good. It's gotten a little little ridiculous lately. I mean, it started out being a thing that kind of said, hey, think about the repercussions of all our use of social media. And it turned into something where um, if you just take someone's coffee cup after they've been drinking out of it, you can use the leftover saliva to create a complete copy of that person in your computer with the memories of that day. And, you know, it basically turned it, it, it's, it's kind of turned into magic lately. And I'm not too yeah, into that. Yeah, I love but, magic. Well, yeah. And when it's Spells used right. Spells and but robes and... Magic when it's just, you know, an excuse for bad writing isn't... That's... Sounds like hacky sci-fi is what it actually sounds like. <laughs> well, it is. I'm just, that's what I'm saying, though. It's like, that's not... Come on, it's not possible. But I think that even though it's, uh, it's usually a n- negative consequences of technology, um, I, I haven't really seen a show that's uh, done a better job at exploring the relationship between um, us and our technology, us and our little electronic creations. I, I think it. I think Black Mirror understands more than any of the show that there's there's something organic about the way we create devices and the way we the, mm. the, the the problems we try to solve and what it leads to. And I think they understand the writers. Some of the writers, like I said, you know, but like some of the writers, uh, some of the some of those episodes really explore what what is going on and and what the repercussions are i mean that i think one of my favorite episodes is the one where everybody's got that social media app where you rate your interactions with people oh i haven't seen that one oh my god you gotta see this it's like uh uh you 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 know you share an elevator with someone and Mm -hmm. as soon as you walk out of the elevator you're so whatever it is facebook or whatever it is has um detected their presence and it asks you how was your interaction with that person and you give it a rating and it also shows you what their average rating is mm. and anything so like under a, a two point review. it's like a yelp review for everyone yeah and anything under a 2.5 uh you're not even going to want to talk to this person right. uh it's uh like there's a scene where a, a, a woman is hitchhiking and um, she's she's been having such a bad sequence of events and such a, a, a chain of bad interactions that um, even from the car, uh, motorists are able to scan her as they contemplate picking her up for her hitchhiking. And they see that she's a 2.1 and no, nope, just leave her on the road. Uh, wow. You know, and, and this is a harmless looking woman that's obviously in need of help. And they're just like, nah, she's a 2.1, you know, and I, I thought that was such a really cool way to look at you know, some of the consequences of where we're at. But what's what I like about that episode is there are people living outside of that system. There are people who are like, you're fucking crazy. Why are you even having that app? Don't do that. And obviously, yeah. like having a bad credit score, they're not going to get as good of loans. They're going to be less likely to get hired. But they are also not dealing with the whole mess of stress that everyone on the app is dealing with. And I, and I think that's what it is about Black Mirror that I love so much. It does it give me hope for the future? Uh, is it a source of hope for the future? I don't know. It it, it definitely kind of, sh- most of the times it shows a stable future. It shows that we get on top of our problems and we kind of handle things. But it also shows that a lot of our solutions are going to have, uh, you know, unintended consequences. And we have to be aware of the power we're playing with as we as we keep going. You know, we're, we're uh, sometimes we're putting out fires with gasoline, man. You just got to watch out. And that's what Black Mirror is cool. It's a... It's, uh, Gives me, yeah, it gives me hope because it, it's. I feel like it's a it's a show that shows us uh, what we can expect and, and what we should be aware of. 
moving forward. Well, well, it's funny that you bring up Black Mirror because, you know, my next entry on this list is sort of like a Black Mirror. It's black, shiny, solid, influences the future in some ways. I'm talking about monoliths. And therefore, I'm talking about 2001 A Space Odyssey. Oh. Uh, A movie movie that is complex and heady and can go in all kinds of different directions in terms of interpretation. But what what makes that movie, I think, bright is the introduction of Star Child. Another Kiss reference, actually. And I feel like what that movie showcases is the evolution of humanity. You know, a lot of these other films that deal with the future – you know, they talk about AI, right? We're talking about technology. We're talking about robotics. But what happens if we evolve to merge with our technology? What happens if through our natural evolution and our space space exploration, we actually become part of the technology that we build? I mean, you know, there's a central conflict between how and um, – what's the gentleman's name? And, and Bowman, Hal and Bowman – on uh, the discovery one, right? The sort of this, the, the, the struggle between technology, artificial intelligence and humanity. But really, if you look at it through the influence of the monoliths, Bowman watches his life progress until he's reborn as this new, this new thing, the star child and, and with it, a new sense of hope. And then if you spring forward to some of the offshoot books, if you look at um, 2010 Odyssey, and in particular 3001, the final Odyssey, Bowman and and uh, the Star Child version of Bowman actually merges with HAL 9000 to become Halman, which is essentially the precursor to the monoliths. And you find out the monoliths are essentially beings that reincarnated from flesh and blood merging with computers to become the lords of the galaxy oh wow that's that's some wild shit i I, I didn't get any of that from the first film uh but yeah that's interesting though uh the the black mirror uh connection there because uh the black mirror uh, uh, describes a uh, cell phone when the screen is turned off that's right and the monolith kind of looks now we may maybe our our devices have kind of taken on the the same I mean almost the same aspect ratio it's about it's about a uh, I want to say a three by seven aspect ratio maybe it's I mean if you look at my phone does yeah. that not look like a monolith oh yeah like if I was a caveman and I saw that you know ten feet tall I would probably start using tools yeah absolutely absolutely I mean look I think that we we view our future in such a way that we're always in conflict. Because our present and our past has been built around conflict, both on a societal level, a class level, a, a wage level. But what if the, the final conflict is simply a merger into something new? The ceasing, the ceasing of existence of what was previous giving way to something completely brand new. Are you talking about a uh, kind of a us merging with technology kind of thing? Yeah, the, exactly. the singularity, as they call it? Yes, yes. And for me, I think that if we looked at our list last week and we looked at how um, negative some of those views were, those dystopian futures are built around the sort of essence of humanity and where its natural conclusion is. But what if, in fact, humanity ceases and we become we become merged with technology to form something different that at least opens up possibility and that 
can create a bright future. Well, yeah, of course, there's theories of that maybe what we need, because we've discussed this a few times on the show that we are not uh, physically progressing as fast as our civilization is. We're still, we are still born with the same, uh, close to the same hunter gatherer, uh, tribe of a hundred people, uh, you know, the, the, the minds of our ancestors were, they evolved for a certain kind of lifestyle that you really just can't find in modern society. That's right. And it, yeah, so there may be some way in the future as we just continue to progress in AI and technology that we find a way to kind of enhance our own being to, uh, uh, keep up, which is a, a terrifying thought, but Hey, maybe that's a solution. Maybe you're right. Right, we just start getting cybernetic implants, you know, changing up our limbs. I'm reading Neuromancer right now, so nice. probably influencing a lot of my thought. It's brilliant. I'll tell you what I'm looking forward to is um, the uh, game coming out by um, CD Projekt Red coming out next year, uh, Cyberpunk 2077. I've seen a lot of uh, photos and stuff for it. Yeah, that's going to be a fun one. Uh, they're they're a really cool company. They make some really great stuff, and it's based on a uh, role play, like a, like a board game, uh, like a role playing board okay. game. And uh, yeah, that's gonna that's gonna be a good one that really explores a lot of the the themes we're talking about. But uh, I'm cool. looking forward to that. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. That's a terrifying thought. That uh, in order to keep up, I might have to start putting some implants in. I I think that's still we're still a couple generations away from people who be. Com- mostly comfortable with that uh but you know we're not too far off right now because i know when i go about the world and you're probably the same way i have a computer in my pocket all the time That's and right. my relationship to that computer that little what we what i call a phone but wow what a inaccurate description that word is for what is actually right. being carried by me all the time it is it's a mini monolith it, it is. It, it connects me to everything. It connects me to you. It connects me to my friends. It connects me to the world. I, I ask it questions. I mean, I used to literally, like I used to type questions into it. Now I literally ask it questions with my voice. And uh, it's, um, I well, Jesus, it's the way I met my fiance uh, through an app, you know? Right. So yeah, we are, uh, we're already, a, you know, kind of um, enhanced in, in our way. Uh, you know, everything's external now. Maybe someday it will become internal. Uh, or maybe we'll get to the point where uh, the whole idea that internal modifications looks uh, primitive and brutal. And we go back to, because the technologies make it, made it so good that we don't have to put stuff inside our bodies in the future. Uh, you, you just never know. But yeah, there, there is definitely, you, you, it's hard to keep up with the society if you don't have your little personal assistant, your, your, right. your phone on you. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think it, it makes perfect sense. And, and I, in fact, I think it's positive because what you were saying it, you know, in order for us to evolve, we, we might have to start enhancing our bodies and everything. Well, maybe not. Maybe you just get a, the new Apple watch. no, Enhancements, cybernetic <laughs> implants, laser eyes. That's well, right. all right, all right. Well, I'm I'm for my final pick. I'm gonna go to the one that really will give you hope. It's a, it's just such an optimistic show. It's always been around there. It's been I mean, God, it's been around for 50 years plus now. Started in the 60s. It's you know always there with us to remind us that humanity will will never stop and will always be fighting the good fight and moving forward, even though. Sometimes we slump a little bit, and sometimes we we backslide. We're gonna we're gonna keep on keeping on, and that's Doctor Who. 
because oh yeah, I mean amazing. that one of the my favorite lessons of Doctor Who, and it's just such a cool show to get into at any point in its creation. You can always jump in and enjoy what you're watching. But one of my real fa- quick though, what who who's your favorite Doctor? We have to start with that. I'm a David Tennant guy. Uh, yeah. yeah, I know he's kind of a goofball, but I had a lot of fun. No, he's great. Well, I'll tell you what, though. I cannot say po- uh, uh, confidently that if uh, Christopher Eccles hadn't stayed in for three or four seasons, I would. I, I might have been a Christopher Eccles guy. He was really cool. Uh, he, was cool. he was dark. He was, ooh, that was a good doctor. He was, <laughs> well, he, was he was, he was one, one reincarnation away from being the war doctor. So he's still holding a lot of that yeah. sort of post-traumatic stress. Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. Uh, great performer. Great actor. That guy's awesome. I want to see him in more stuff, but uh, no, getting back to it. What I, what I feel that the lesson that I love to take for whenever doctor who, cause it doesn't always take place on earth. It's not always human stories, but it's, it's a show that reminds us that history is not frozen. You know, there is no, I, I feel like most dystopian future shows, most things you watch, they, they make you feel like this is what it's just going to be like from then on. And Doctor mm. Who reminds us that, you know, yeah, there, there may be a hundred years war on earth where there's nothing but suffering and everything, but the next 30 years might be nothing but bliss and utopia and art and progress. We are constantly going through cycles together. We learn lessons from the previous ones. Sometimes we forget those lessons, but we, we move on. We move forward and history is constantly changing because so many forces in our world try to convince us that history does not change, that your situation is frozen, that there's no way that your class of people will never be the ruling class. It's always been us and it's just not true. Everything changes. Everything cycles. Progress things you could never predict. You may be in a shitty situation and the very next day that you may be in the best situation in your life and that's just the way it is from now on. You never know. And that's what that's do- right. I feel like Doctor Who, man, it really shows that, that, that you just, you know, we're just going to visit humanity uh, at any point throughout history and it's going to be completely different than the last time we visited it. Uh, yeah, it takes a time travel show to really show that, you know, things change and we are never going to be able to predict what's coming. Well, it's funny that we started with um, Bill and Ted early in the list, and we, we we're still right back to time traveling telephone booths. Yeah, that's um, right. <laughs> so it's so it's funny that you mentioned in terms of like the, the progression of humanity, and even though I think we should probably progress into being cybernetic uh, hybrids, my last entry is a film that focuses purely on the human spirit, and that is a movie called Gattaca. It's a future in which child rearing and child birthing is sort of controlled through genetics and uh you know own, only the most genetically superior you know versions of babies are created and um Ethan Hawke plays someone who's sort of born in the more naturalistic way and as a result he's he's faced with bigotry and and being treated like a second class citizen and he's got a brother that he always used to play this game of chicken where they would swim out into the ocean and Whoever could swim out further would win, and he loses every time, except for one time, the very end. He beats his brother finally, and his brother nearly drowns, and he saves him, and then he goes off into to the world on his own. So fast forward as them as adults, and Ethan Hawke really wants to be part of a space mission, and he uses the the DNA of a, of a guy who was uh, essentially, a, I think he was a, he was, he was bred to be like an Olympic swimmer, like the best of the best. And he got second place once. And so he threw himself in front of a truck 
to break himself essentially because if he wasn't his whole world was surrounded around being like the absolute best and he wasn't so ethan hawk uses his dna to sort of create this fake identity for himself and get on the space mission it accumulates where there's a murder and a detective is assigned to figure out who this murder was and ethan hawk is the prime suspect and they discover that it wasn't him at all and that the detective is his brother what makes this movie so cool is is sort of a scene towards the very end in which um well there's two scenes actually one they, they discover that they're they're, the, they're brothers that haven't seen each other in like 25 years and they decide to do one last game of chicken and so they swim out into the ocean and once again much like the final time as children ethan hawk's character wins and and his brother nearly dies and so his brother is confused. He's, you know, his brother was made in the in the genetically superior model, and and he should, by all rights, have won every single time. But Ethan Hawke won because he gave he gave no strength left to come back. He was willing to go so far out that it would cause his death. Hmm. It was his willpower, his drive that that bested the genetically superior physical specimen that was his brother. And uh, the final scene is Ethan Hawke being allowed to go on the space mission. And you find out that the guy in charge of the selection knew that he was always faking it, that he was not, that he was a normie essentially, but that his drive pushed him to overachieve. And that was inspiring. And so he sort of allows him to go. And so that kind of focus on the human spirit and what your willpower and your drive can, can create above your status to me taking that theme that makes that makes the future bright if we can all apply that to our life yeah that's the lesson of gattaca it's 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 don't try to filter out all you know don't do eugenics don't try to filter out all the randomness all the noise we need it we need that i mean evolution's already done set us up with the best system where random mutations are going to just kind of happen and and and, and that's really what i i think so i think that's how it should be because Gattaca's a future where they try to plan each person's life before they're even born, giving them the genetic tools they're going to need to do the job that their parents want or whatever society chooses them to have. Right. And I hope we never get that way. I, I hope we realize that nature is its own sort of artist. And, and, and I, I know that what I'm saying sounds a little almost like a, like a religious, uh, oh, don't, don't mess with it. You know, nature's <laughs> got its own thing, but it's not. I just am someone that appreciates the randomness of events. And I hope that that never goes away because the, the that random palette that comes uh, from, uh, you know, from just life energy and, and everything we have around us uh, is something that I've fallen in love with. And if, if mankind ever says, uh, no, we've got to take the reins into our own hands and, and just start use you know, whatever motivator we need to, to make those decisions. We've got to, you know, genetically modify babies. I mean, I, I don't want to see that. I, I, I like the noise. I like the randomness and I want to keep it. Well, and I think part of what makes our evolution and our future. So the possibility of it being positive is our ability to go further than we've ever gone before our abilities as humanity to push ourselves, to go out into the ether, into the unknown, even at the risk of not being able to turn back and pushing the envelope of what is possible. And if we apply that to our lives, if we apply that to our society, if we push ourselves to constantly evolve and be progressive, then in the, in, in fact, we can have a positive future filled with cybernetic implants and cyber trucks. Unfortunately, it 
still probably won't have hoverboards. Well, not without attitude. <laughs> Should we go on to some mailbag questions? We have some good ones today. Sure, sure. Questions from Mecarept. Louis Satuni asks, once the bar is set so low or so high for entertainment, how would we push that further without becoming even worse ethically? I.e., what would the rewards or repercussions be for lowering or raising the standards of accessible entertainment? Well, I feel like there's never really any negative repercussions for raising the bar. I mean, whenever someone comes out with a, a great film, I feel like we like we did that episode on Joker recently, and I felt like that really mm-hmm. raised the bar for a certain genre of cinema that's been kind of... Uh, exp- it kind of having a not like a free ride, but having a bit of an easy ride lately. I felt like Joker came out and said, "Hey, try harder," and that's wonderful. But uh, every once in a while, the bar does get lowered as well. Maybe mainly for me with the advertising world, you see a lot of right, schlock sure. come out and kind of make things. So, yeah, but uh, I don't know. I feel like for I would say personally, for me, there's never any repercu- negative repercussions for raising the bar. I always raise the bar. Well, I think what I think to the point of when we create art, right? When the creation of art is made, and you're always pushed to do more, you push to make it better, you push it to be more timeless, have bigger effects, have bigger scope. There is an, I mean, there's a labor force involved in that, and there is very much the ability to exploit that. And you know, technology. We talk about technology. We talk about the monoliths in our pocket, right? The phones. You know, that technology is buoyed on slave labor largely. Mm. You know, a lot of the things that we enjoy, all this technology that we enjoy is manufactured in an area that is barely a bar above slavery. So I think there's a valid point to that creation inevitably or at least inevitably in our current, you know, capitalist society is is inherently unethical. And how do we continue to evolve our technology or evolve our entertainment without further worsening the conditions in which that technology and or that entertainment is built? And the answer to that question is I don't have that answer other than we tear everything down and we restart anew and we try to do it better this time around. Labalana Winters asks, regarding the man who saw tomorrow, Nostradamus, do you believe that his prophecies could be real or some kind of warning for mankind? I can tell you right now what Matt, Matt's answer is going to be, and that's no. So I'll, I'll go ahead and take the lead on this one. So regarding Nurse Adamus, I think a broken clock is right twice a day. Um, but I also have a weird philosophy on the way time operates, and I've told Matt this before. Imagine a VHS tape recorded over and over and over and over again. If you do record on a VHS tape enough times, you start to get what's a phenomenon which is called the bleed, where in images that you've allegedly recorded over bleed into current images you've recorded and if we are to believe that time is an endless an endless amount of presence one present after another infinitely and infinite variables all existing in one plane and and all time is is that is our ability to perceive it then i think it's certainly possible that from a sensory standpoint one some people could be able to glimpse into other moments i think that that I don't, I don't think that we should offhand discard that uh, and discredit that. So was not Nostradamus a, a charlatan who was a good speaker and, you know, said a bunch of things in a vague enough way that people found meaning in them where there wasn't there? Or did he maybe have some sort of sensory uh, mutation where he was able to view other realities, other timelines, other future possibilities 
and speak upon them. I think uh, it's up to you to determine that, and it's up to us to see how many more of his predictions come true, if any. I hope we've helped you guys kind of see that maybe some of the negative stuff we shared with you last week isn't so permanent. There are alternatives, and uh, the future might be uh, pretty fun. It might be kind of crazy. It might be one, and then the other, and then the other again. Well, I can say this for sure. The future is in our hands to create. And even if time is a construct, the human spirit and how we use it, how we create, how we use our godlike powers is up to us. You're listening to the Grindhouse podcast on the future is so bright we have to wear shades network. Please follow us on Instagram at Grindhouse podcast or listen to us every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud and now on Spotify.